0: slot games on chumbacasino.com i looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing they were also playing chumba casino coincidence i think not everybody's loving having fun with it chumba casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere even at thirty thousand feet so sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus that's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life
1: no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus
2: Subscribe and rate it five stars. And the greatest podcast Whether You're listening or watching. Remember, always keep it squatchy. Yeah. And now, your hosts, Cliff Berkman
3: and James Bobo Fay. Cliff. What's happening, man? Not much. Just
4: same old, same old. Same old, same old. Yeah. What is a day in the life of Bobo? Good question. Thank you. Tomorrow, I'm going to go meet uh, my buddy up there in Fieldbrook where that sighting was. He's back in town. We're going to go up there and look and see what we can find. It's been like three weeks now, but it's just been dumping rain and like heavy winds and like it's going to be pretty messed up. And it's not the best substrate for getting uh, prints, but we'll see what we can find. Right, right. Well, you know, day in the life for Cliff is I wake up at
3: 730 or 8 and get ready for work, come to work, work all day, do a podcast at the end of the day, get home at 7 or 8. Hang out, have dinner, go to bed. But uh, great things are happening. I mean, um, we're getting ready for the Sportsman Show. Yeah. We're going to have a booth there. Can you imagine all the stories we're going to get and all the heckling, too? Oh, yeah. Should be a lot of fun. I'm I'm trying to get all my comebacks ready. 60,000 people go through the doors over those, you know, four days of the show or five days of the show, Wednesday through Sunday at the, I don't even know where it is, the Portland, you know, Convention Center Expo or whatever it's called downtown there. Should be a lot of fun, though. Bringing a bunch of exhibits in, we're, we're bringing a bunch of footprint casts, obviously, and I ran off 250 report forms. I don't know how many people are going to share their reports with us, but I bet it's going to be quite a few. Who knows what other kind of stuff's going to come our way? Possibly a collection or two, like oh, my dad was really into Bigfoot; he had all these newspaper clippings, um, you know, something like that. That's what I'm hoping for. And of course, you know we'll we'll, we'll sell some stuff, right, I guess at the end of the day. So it'd be kind of like a a bigfoot convention, I guess, but having some stuff out in front of me and making some money for the shop. But really, the goal of this is to get people into the museum, you know, so uh, we'll bring in like two or three thousand flyers to hand out. and we've never done this before. So it's gonna be uh, an interesting experiment. my My worst fear is that um, maybe we sell everything like uh, by Thursday. And then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we don't have anything. I, I don't know. That could happen. It could happen. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I just feel like I'm going into this like ill-equipped. I'm a little nervous about it, to be honest with you. Right. But I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun, of course, meeting a lot of good people and hearing tons of stories, I imagine. And really, when it's over, I get a, a, a few weeks of not having any other outside obligations except for the museum. So looking forward to that. Because you know what? Apple trees need uh, pruning at this point. Like there's a lot of stuff on the property I need to deal with, and Bigfoot has been getting in the way as it often does. Squatches don't just snap the branches off for you when they're picking apples. I'm hoping, but you know, at this point, no, no. If I could have a, a troop of Sasquatches come through and actually break all the branches on top of the apple trees and cut it down to size every year, I would be thrilled. Be happy to give them all the apples they want, like they can't take it anyway, though. You know, right? But anyway. Doing a fun podcast right now because it is the Q and A episode in Bigfoot and Beyond right now, which is the one I look forward to the most every single month. Yeah, this is the best. Yeah, I love it because it gives us a chance to interact with our audience, and we you know we love it. we love ourselves a good audience, and you know we have a great one. And um, all these questions that we'll be answering will be from you, our listeners. You are submitting them. Um, you are either writing them in, or you're actually submitting voicemails, so you can hear your own melodious voice. I said melodious, not malodorous, by the way, voice on the <coughs> air talking to us. So, um, yeah, I, I love these episodes, and uh, it's kind of fun to hear the voices of the people who are listening. Yeah, let's see let's it. All right, Pru, what do you got for us? Hey, Cliff. Hey, Bobo. My name is Adam, and I'm from Staffordshire, England. Let us have one quick question. When witnesses report that the footprints just seem to have ended and there was no sign of the Sasquatch, do you think they just don't look up? And think about the possibility of them climbing trees or entering a body of water. Do you think that could explain a lot of the paranormal side that people report of Sasquatch?
4: Yeah, it'd probably explain almost all of it, but I, but not every single case, because I've talked to people that have followed them on beaches and it just ends and there's nothing like within fifty feet. there's been there's not a lot of cases like that. I mean, almost all of them are just I think people just lose they I think they can jump. They could I mean uh people have seen a broad jump just from standing on two feet and just without taking a step, jump like 22, 23, 24 feet. They can, you know, just you know, like the top humans can do like 11 feet or something like that. So, I mean, they're, they can jump at least twice as far as we can from, from a standstill and they can, and I've, I've heard enough stories of them jumping up into trees that I'm sure that accounts for some, but some of me, you know, like it's uh it's uh perplexing, like the way some of those disappear for like, you know, professional trackers and stuff. But I think it's just that they're really, really good at not leaving prints and covering their escape routes and such. Yeah, I think the vast majority of
3: those cases, it's a it's a human thing. Like the people just aren't good trackers, you know, because I've tracked Sasquatches a fair number of times. And I'm not I don't I don't pretend to be a good tracker by any stretch of the imagination. I'm an I'm a hobbyist. I enjoy it. But um, I'm not I'm not great at it by any means. Um, And I lose their trails all the time. I mean, just thinking back to the last week when I was tracking that one up uh, by Welch's in Oregon here, um, yeah, I would find three or four prints in a row, maybe two or three prints in a row, and then I'd lose it for 10 or 20 yards or more, and then pick it up uh, and get maybe one or maybe two or three more, and then I'd lose it again. Then I, there came a point where I could not backtrack it or track it further from where I found it. Then it just completely. Lost it, and uh, you know. And if if I look at that situation, I I think it's the lazy way out to say, "Oh, it just disappeared, or it flew in the sky, or it went through a portal, it dematerialized." That's lazy thinking. I think the, uh, in my opinion, I know it sounds really harsh, but I don't care. I think it is. I I think such a judgment deserves a little bit of harsh criticism in that case. Um, The fact is that I'm not a good enough tracker to track it. You know, um, it, it, these things live in places that are not easy to follow trail in, is a fact. Um, and yeah, they might be going in trees, but um, where I lost the trail for these, um, there were no trees to go up into. You know, I mean, it, Reasonably speaking, I guess they could have jumped 15 feet to a side on, the ha- on this alder tree and grabbed onto it and jumped from tree to tree to tree to tree, you know, which um, of course brings to mind the idea of the splinter cat. If you know what the splinter cat is, if you don't, check it out. It's, I think it's a Sasquatch legend personally. But um, fact is, I just lost a trail. You know, humans are extraordinarily fallible, and uh, tracking is an art. And uh, it's very easy to lose the trail of these things, especially since Sasquatches have large, soft, padded feet. Um, I've said it kind of a lot lately, uh, but th- these the John Green books and all these other books, like the early books, have skewed our perception of what footprints look like in the ground. They are not deep and unambiguous and clear, uh, hardly ever. They're barely ever like that most of them are very subtle where you see leaf litter shoved out of the way or you see some ferns or grass pressed into the ground uh, you know and there's these subtle 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 signs as oh but there's sasquatches are so heavy they would be uh, no 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 forget all that get rid of all that stuff in your head don't take those presumptions to bed with you like just leave those aside start with a blank slate and then learn about what is actually there instead of what you think should be there. So um, I'm going to say it's it's human fault. Humans are not generally good trackers. And the beach thing, I don't know. I also don't believe a lot of people when they say, oh, it just went in the middle of nowhere and disappeared, and therefore the Bigfoots are paranormal. All right, well, I'm already going to doubt your judgment because you're thinking that. In snow, people say, oh, what about tracks that go in the middle of the snow and then disappear? Well, Bob Strain told me once that he tracked a Sasquatch in the snow and uh, the trackway appeared to, di- uh, to disappear, if you can appear to disappear. That seems like a funny thing to say. But um, And he looked cl- more closely, and it turns out the Sasquatch walked out in the same footprints that it left coming in.
4: I was just going to say that. Yeah, that's, that's, you hear that pretty calm. Comp- like, I've, I've heard some really good trackers talk about how the Bigfoots backtrack themselves, like stepping in their own footprints.
3: Other animals do that as well. Other animals do that same behavior as well. And you know what? Humans do that. Humans do that. It's easier. It takes less effort. So uh, I'm going to go human error is what I'm going to say about this. And sure, they probably go in trees, too. I think they take advantage of a a three-dimensional environment, you know, where humans very often think in
4: two dimensions. Or they might be taking advantage of fourth and fifth dimensions, Cliff, because you're thinking only in three dimensions.
3: I am, in fact, thinking only in three dimensions, unless you count time as the fourth. Um, But do, do they zap through portals and disappear? Absolutely not. Probably not.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. To me, it, it always seemed like that, that sort of theme about tracks ending in the snow or whatever the case may be is one of those things that is mythologized like, oh, I've, I've heard about X, Y, and Z. Like, I've never met anyone who's observed that or has photographed it or has in any way documented that that was their experience. And I've I've never met anyone directly or spoken to anyone directly who claims to have seen that. It's just one of those things get, that gets repeated like, oh, well, what do you think about tracks that disappear in the snow as if it's taken for granted that that actually occurs? And so it seems to me like one of the many myths associated with Sasquatchery rather than something that people actually observe.
4: Yeah, you know, well, I was with High Check. I was with I was with High Check, uh, the Mouth of the Clown. That we were filming that uh, Mysterious Encounters, and we met a biologist. The guy had a master's in biology, who in the Queen Charlotte uh, Queen Charlotte Islands off Canada saw one walking at the beach, and he said it just blinked out and went down. He said they had massive seventeen-inch tracks, did great depth into the sand. And Doug was right there when we talked to the guy, and he was. We talked to him for like God, almost an hour, and it was. He didn't say anything else nutty. And I think, didn't Doug, those ones at Slay Lake, the first ones he saw when he was flying in the up in the Arctic, didn't those just disappear too? I, I, I'm i going to say, I don't know what Doug said, but I would say, no, they
3: didn't do that because Sasquatches don't do that. Bears don't do that. Humans don't do that. Elk don't do that. Sasquatches don't do that. There's no reason to think they would.
4: I don't think it's the most likely option, but I'll keep it all th- things on the table Cliff. I don't. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much it's a stretch. They, they can blink out.
3: Yeah, I, I think that's a stretch, man. What if I said, like, uh, hey, uh, you know, I live in the woods. You've been to my house, Bobes. If I heard rummaging outside, you know, on trash night, and I stuck my head out the window, I saw a bear out going through my trash can, you know, which is entirely possible where I live. And I yelled, hey, bear, get out of here. And then the bear opened up a porthole and disappeared into another dimension. Like, what would you think what I, about someone who said that?
4: Cliff's finally evolving. <laughs> Devolving? <laughs> I don't think that's like the most likely thing, but I'm keeping all options open.
3: Now, both so the thing is, you you suffer under the same um, disadvantage that I do. Okay, um, is that we're both honest people, and we and therefore we assume everybody else is honest and and scrupulous and also good observers. Um, we assume everybody's kind of like us. Like I know that uh, whatever I say is my truth. You know, I may be incorrect about some things, but I'm going to tell the truth. Um, and everybody else is the same way and not everybody's like that. And I I think that honest people like myself and you, I know you very well and that you're not a liar. We assume everybody's telling us the truth, but there's another thing we assume is that they're accurate. And I don't think people are accurate as often as we give them credit for. You know, people are just rife with uh, um, with misconceptions and and cultural uh, um, like, like filters. You see things through everybody, um, and I just think a lot of that blurs the vision of what actually happened. You know?
4: Yeah. All right, I recant my I recant my position. <laughs> I don't, I'm not trying to talk you
3: down, Bobes. I'm really not. Man. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying that uh, I think it's a mistake to put so much faith in the words that come out of people's heads because of the error that it could very well be there. And they're not, not I'm not saying they're lying. Some people are lying, but I'm not saying most, I don't think most people are lying. I think most people um, are telling the, the version of truth that they see, but it's so um, filtered and, and colored by their own perception and, and, and cultural filters and everything like that, that you got to take everybody's word, even my own with a grain of salt. And in some cases you need a, a whole salt lick.
4: Yeah, it's not
3: in
2: your nature to comply, Bobo. <laughs> I, mean,
4: it's, it's, it, I mean, it's yeah. It's like I just think there's something, there's something, there's something more to the Squatch than just a large primate. It just doesn't make sense to me that there's not some kind of cover, like big cover up, or there's not some special ability they have. Why we don't have even a body?
2: I think all the answers that you seek you might find in the phenomenal Sasquatch by Matt Pruitt, available now at Amazon.com. Or the North American <laughs>
4: Bigfoot Center. <laughs> no, I, 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 I've heard all those arguments, but it still doesn't sit well with me that if all the human history, that, you know, with all the, unless there's, you know, there's government cover-ups and at all kinds of different levels around the world, like how we just haven't got a body just, it's just, there's something, there's something weird about them. Yeah, well, us I mean, I think more
3: than anyone else on the show, I think you represent the beyond and bigfoot and beyond and, and and we all love you for it we all love you for it but uh i'm, I'm gonna give you some pushback oh yeah i deserve it
4: <laughs> no I, i'm saying like yeah yeah i mean i don't think they're like jumping through portals all the time and stuff like that but or ever oh uh, it's just there's just so much weirdness out there you know it's like i, I mean I don't, it doesn't seem likely but yeah they're probably not well i love you for your openness bobs yeah you gotta be open oh yeah yes yeah. it's just one of the reasons i love you of
3: course Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages.
1: No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You've worked hard for what you have.
3: Your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it.
0: Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply.
4: I want to see if this UFO thing does tie in, if there's some, like, grand unification of the high strangeness and weird, you know, like the orbs and the the tic-tac, you know, video stuff and the UAP phenomena. And all, I just wonder, like, there's, is there some link to all that, like you know, the paranormal well, I'm into that actually.
3: People, I think even our listeners might be very, very surprised to hear me say something like that. Uh, that um, I love this idea that I see a lot of the paranormal folks. I think uh, John Tenney is one of them that is, has done this. Uh, I have great respect for John. I, I love the guy as a person, and I uh, and I, I love that he's having so much fun with all these different weird subjects. I think Tom Powell is another good example of someone who's into all sorts of various weird things. Um, but I, and this idea of like the grand unification theory of paranormal. I, I I love that in a way because yeah why not and I've noticed that a lot of these um, the, these paranormal folks are starting to refer to the thing as the phenomenon like that's what they're calling you now like they're trying to tie it all I think Greg and Dana are doing that now pepper right Greg and Dana Newkirk um, and I, I just love that idea but I see absolutely no reason to tie Sasquatches in with any of that whatsoever because the Sasquatches that I am acquainted with, uh, th- th- that, I have smelled and seen and tracked and heard and all that other stuff don't seem to exhibit any weird phenomenon at all. Um, and they seem to do everything that all the other animals do. So I just have no reason at all to think that there's anything weird going on. Although that I've said it before on the podcasters, that does not, um, exclude the idea that whatever the phenomenon is, is happy to uh, fool you into thinking that Sasquatches are part of it.
2: I know we've talked about this and I've talked about it ad infinitum, ad nauseum rather, on uh, other podcasts. But if you're looking at statistics, you know, going by the numbers, these things that happen in Wild environments, whether it's orbs or lights in the sky or apparitional experiences, if you want to associate it with something hair-covered, some mammal, it's like, well, then why don't we assume that orbs are associated with possums or raccoons or deer or bear or elk or moose? Because those animals all occur in much greater- But
4: you're naming out out things that are are complete, there's millions of bodies have been found, there's millions of hours of footage of them. There's 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 more bigfoots than there are snow leopards, you know. And we got and well, once we started concentrating on snow leopards, we got you know we got a lot more. Like there was no footage 25 years ago. Now there's a bunch of footage. Yeah, but I'm just saying, if you know, very
2: often people argue. Well, you know, orbs happen in forested areas, and Sasquatch sightings happen in forested areas.
4: I get I get, I get what you're saying that. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying they, they could be. I mean, I'm, they, they might be. Who knows? I, mean, I don't think we're going to find out anytime soon, or if at all in our lifetime, but it just makes you want. I just want, like, it just doesn't suit me that if they were just, if they're, I mean, a species of humans couldn't, uh, I mean, I know they're more adapted, but a species of human couldn't stay hidden this long. You know what I mean? Well, hidden's relative, though, because
2: if we look at claimants, if If some significant percentage of those claims are true, then they're seen semi-frequently, especially if you look at you know North America from a bird's eye view uh, of the entire continent over the last let's say two hundred and fifty years, then they're seen very frequently to some degree. and so there is that paradox of like they're everywhere and they're nowhere they're seen very rarely but yet they're seen often. And so you know those paradoxes I think are worth paying attention to, but uh, on the other hand, like I do think that there are reasonable explanations that we haven't collected a specimen yet or that someone hasn't spontaneously discovered the remains of a naturally deceased individual yet, et cetera. But I get it. You know, those are I wrestle with those things, too, all the time. I, I just think like the more likely explanation would be that it is something psychological before I would say like they're just being picked up by UFOs, UAPs, uh, et cetera. <laughs> You three deers. Yeah, John Green said,
3: um, it, "To explain one unknown with another gets us nowhere."
4: Oh, no, I don't think we should focus on. I, I, I'm not. A, I'm not. A, I'm not going to look into it. Like it's just, yeah, it's looking into the Bigfoot. And if that stuff comes out, great. But if, if not, like we'll get an answer one way or the other. Well, see, that's another thing too that I keep going back on. You know, I I understand that
3: uh, some people have had strange things occur to them in the woods, and they associate those strange things with sasquatches. And in their minds, sasquatches are responsible for what they perceive, right? You know, Uh, um, but if I'm going to be generous enough to say, okay, I recognize that that there's some truth in that—that you've experienced weird things, you've seen some weird stuff, and you're bigfooting, and you think bigfoots are responsible, I, I. I think the least anybody can do is uh, reciprocate that and say, okay, I've been doing this for 30 years. I've never once had anything weird like that happen to me in the woods. Um, and I've been around Sasquatches a fair amount, I think it's fair to say. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know. I'll, I'll recognize that other people have had weird stuff going on, but you got you to gotta give it back and say, yeah, I've never had anything weird like that happen in the woods when I've been out there and Sasquatches were around. Never once. Yeah. Oh, man. Hey, man, I'd love it. You know, I love the weird. I think I, you know me well. I I love weird stuff. I would love to have weird stuff like that happen to me. It just doesn't. It just doesn't, man. And I put myself in that position hundreds and hundreds of times, and it's just
4: nothing there for me, you know? Yeah. Some guys get all the luck. Ah, it's it's because you, talk, you talk like an idiot when you say like, it, it could be, you know, like those people are going like, what a sucker, you know? And then there's A few people going. No, that guy knows what he's talking about. (laughs) But that's the very small minority. I just think the biggest risk is that, like,
2: once you open the door to the unknown, not that the unknown should always be off the table, but then once you do open the door to the unknown, where does it end? Like, why can't I invoke any unknown explanation that I want to? Again, like, add infinitum until I have you know a satisfactory answer. And so, of course, like we take these other unknown phenomena, like, you know, lights in the sky or something like that. But you could say to me, it would have the same validity as, as saying like, oh, well, they're, you know, projections of the human mind. Like, what do they call those tulpas thought form? I mean, you could go on and on and on with a zillion different explanations rather than saying, well, can we make this work within what's known, the, the realm of the known? Basically build an explanatory model within the narrowest sets of constraints possible. And I think we can do that with the biological Sasquatch. And so to me, that's the danger of opening the door to the unknown. It's like, well, where does it end? It never ends. You just create a void that can be filled with the near plausible completely through to the ridiculous or the preposterous. And they're all equally valid or invalid. You know what I mean?
4: Right, right. You're right.
2: I don't see anything to explain. You
3: know, everything I've personally observed. Because remember what I said earlier? Let's get rid of all the uh, preconceived notions. Let's get rid of all the quote unquote givens in the Bigfoot world and just question them for a little while. You know, I don't see anything to explain from my own personal experience, I just see animal behavior. I see that these are some sort of species of ape, and by the way, humans. I put humans in the same category, so they're human-like in some ways, but but not a lot of ways. Are they human-like? They're very inhuman mostly. Um, I see nothing to explain that's out of the ordinary, and therefore
2: I've got you know why would I explain something that isn't there for me to explain? You know, one of the things that I posit in the book is certainly not novel to me. I mean, it's been posited many times is that. Magical or mystical thinking is a normative human cognitive disposition. And so if you were to look at, let's say, uh, behaviors, for example, on a spectrum from environmentally stable, meaning that these behaviors are present in populations across the world, versus environmentally labile, meaning that they're influenced by the environment. So you could could frame that as like nature versus nurture, or natural versus cultural, etc. You do find that Mystical or magical thinking is an environmentally stable disposition. And so once you have that as your framework, that we see the world through a mystical or magical lens normatively, then to me that's the explanation for the experience of high strangeness or at least the interpretation of various phenomena as being connected to high strangeness or supernatural phenomena worldwide but yet not having like a direct one-to-one relationship with objective reality. And so both of those things can be mutually true. They're not necessarily mutually exclusive. And so to me, that's the most likely explanation for the preponderance of quote-unquote high strangeness as it applies to natural phenomena. And weird shit happens. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm not denying the existence of experiences of high strangeness. And I would love to experience it. I never have, but I would certainly like to. Yeah, you know, it reminds
3: me of uh, what Krantz wrote in his book. Krantz, uh, I think I, I don't remember exactly what he was talking about at the time, but it was something to do with um, people claiming um, pretty pretty wacky things about Bigfoot, and then um, and I, I guess somebody might have proposed to Krantz, like, "Well, the Bigfoots are probably just hiding that behavior from you." And he said, "Well, then why can't we assume that about wolves as well? Like wolves have greater intelligence than in any human being in a high civilization, and they're just hiding that from us as well." Um, and it kind of gets us nowhere once again, but the real danger, in my opinion, the real danger of, um, paranormal thinking around Sasquatches is that it drives away the very people that we want to be involved in the subject. It drives away the scientists and the academics, thus putting, um, acceptance of the species further and further away. And if they are in danger in any way at all, if they are slowly dying away and going extinct, um, then then actually that frame of mind, that paranormal frame of mind, literally is doing damage to the population of Sasquatches. Now, I don't know if it is. Most likely, the paranormal thinking about Sasquatches does no damage to the actual animals themselves, um, but if it is, if they are in any sort of uh, danger whatsoever, their populations, and uh, we are driving away scientists by purporting that they go through, by suggesting that they go through portals and all that sort of stuff, well, then then it's doing real damage to an actual animal, and I think that's 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 criminal. You know, that's that's a shame. That's it's that's, that's terrible.
4: I'm not suggesting they do that.
2: You know what I find really funny, and I, I I was meant to bring this up in a different discussion with you guys, is that one of the things I see so frequently about that I see so frequently, like within the current culture of Sasquatchery is the constant, like often repeated scapegoating of people that are biologically grounded by the more paranormally minded is saying like, well, you're saying they're just apes because you're a shill. You're a shill for the establishment. You know the truth, (laughs) but you're trying to hide it. That's, you you hear that all the time. I see in comment sections all the time. And the funny thing is if you read Krantz, Kranz took the same sort of position, albeit tongue in cheek about, and I'm pretty sure he was referring to John Eric Beckyard when he said in his book, something along the lines of like, I often wonder if these paranormal proponents are shills for the logging industry and they're being paid to get out in public and make wild preposterous claims about the Sasquatch so that no one will take it seriously. So I think it's funny that You've had like big talking heads on both sides of that coin, <laughs> accusing the other of being paid shills you know like this whole scapegoating it's it's pretty hilarious,
3: yeah tom Powell actually uh um Kind of almost accused, I guess, or suggested heavily um, to Eric Beckjord himself directly to him on the phone that like, hey, Eric, like, who's paying you for this? You know, like, who who are you actually working for? And he goes, oh, well, I, I think Eric said something to the effect that we should get Tom back on the show, by the way, because Tom's going to have another book out real soon. Um, so when he's ready to uh, um, put that on the shelves for people to purchase, we'll have Tom back on. We'll ask him directly about this too, if I can remember it. Um, but I think he asked uh, Beckjord something to the effect of, who's paying this? Well, I've got funder but um it's not the government and then tom goes do you really think that the cia or some government agency would put their names on the checks that you're receiving so you know who's paying you and then i guess that shut up for a while so (laughs) oh it did shut him up yeah yeah but i I, because you know tom's really into conspiracies and all sorts of wacky stuff and i'd love the guy of course so um i'd love to how great would it be to be a fly on the wall be in a conversation between tom powell and eric beckjord that'd be epic (laughs) <laughs> yeah i love me some tom powell so yeah
4: he'll learn you adam from the uk see what you started man fruit has got a lot of editing to do on this one cut all my <laughs> stuff out for no people really you know a lot of listeners
2: write in and say like i really love the conversations where you guys are just having authentic conversations it's like we're sitting around a campfire with you so i think all that stuff is great because it is a genuine conversation and it also just goes to show that you know those differences of opinion, that's where all the interesting stuff happens. Cause you know, the three of us agree on ninety-nine you know, nine percent of the Sasquatch phenomenon. So the really interesting stuff comes from those little bits of like, I don't know about that. What about this? You know? And I think it's very useful, very productive. I
4: mean, it's just kind of like with like the whole, like the pyramid mysteries, like how, how they do these giant blocks, like that's, you know, and, and cut and fit these, you know, like tens of thousands of years ago. You know, it's just, there's these weird things that that defy our knowledge, you know, that we don't understand. The reason we're all here is because we're fascinated
2: by mysteries and, you know, every one of those mysteries is an opportunity for, for learning, for growth, for discovery, et cetera. And so, you know, I'm, I'm fascinated by those things too. Just none of them grip me like the Sasquatch does. And so I tend to be a, a Sasquatch maximalist, you know, because right. someone had written in the other day about, oh, have you read this or have you read that? And they were. You know similar mysteries but not in that field i was like no you know and they seem kind of surprised that i don't follow other mysteries and i'm like sorry you know i'm not uh mysteriously promiscuous you know i just stick to one mystery that's been enough
3: stay tuned for more bigfoot and beyond with cliff and bobo we'll be right back after these
1: messages No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
3: I don't see how anybody has time for anything but Bigfoot. I mean, I don't even have time to prune my apple trees. I I, I mean, to to dig deeply into anything else, I just don't see how anybody could have time for a a thorough learning experience in any of these other phenomenon. Maybe it's just the depth that I I, I found myself going to, you know, with the Bigfoot thing.
4: It's hard to say. Well, you go into the whole... Origin of species, like where you know all the all the hominid lines and hominid lines. But that's because of Bigfoot. I'm learning
3: about human an- human ancestors because of Sasquatches. I think that we might we might find a Sasquatch somewhere down there. You know, Paranthropines, for example, are basically little Bigfoots. And um, you know, to learn if you want to learn about grizzly bears, I think it it might serve someone to learn about black bears, right? Um, and since we have examples of essentially what you know, for all practical purposes, are bigfoots you know about five four or five feet tall might as well learn about those because i bet you in fact i think i uh, i think it's fair to say that i've learned a lot about sasquatches or at least uh, um the, the works of like ian tattersall that i mentioned on the last episode um and his work on uh, australopithecines have certainly influenced my thinking about sasquatches and helped me formulate perhaps a a, a model for them in my own mind um it just makes sense. But I, I see that as the same, the same subject, really, you know, human ancestors,
2: but apes, it's, it's all Bigfoot to me. Yeah. That's the beauty of having an intense interest in a subject, even if it seems really discreet and separate from everything is like, it's like the eye of a needle, you know, and the closer you get to it, you know, the more closely you scrutinize it, you eventually get close enough where you see the rest of the world through the eye of the needle. You know what I mean? And, and This subject or any subject is no different where if you really want to understand it, you find yourself digging into so many other disciplines that are relevant in so many other ways that, you know, you you sort of develop a real familiarity with a whole host of things trying to answer just one simple question. Well, that's another great
3: thing about the Bigfoot subject. It it is
2: multidisciplinary, you know,
3: almost almost, no matter what you're interested in, you can apply it or uh, use Bigfoot through it you know, geology, for example, if you love geology or weather for that matter, my wife's really into weather. So, um, you can use those, those, those topics, those, those subjects, and you can apply them to the Bigfoot thing at various levels somehow, you know? Um, I think that's one of the things that drew me to the subject so strongly because after all, I was an elementary school teacher, which is, you know, I'm not, I'm not great at anything, but I'm pretty good at most things kind of like the description of what an elementary school teacher is because you teach all the subjects to the students Um, and I think that that's one of the things that really made Bigfoot so appealing to me as a subject because I like a lot of different things and it turns out that those various subjects are you can apply to the Bigfoot phenomenon somehow and try to dig a little deeper and you know kind of enter that subject from that particular angle so
4: yeah there's there's, that's 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 what I was saying when you said you're you're so busy with Bigfoot but I mean like you're looking at things like, you know, the, how the biology and the the physical characteristics of the eye, like how the eye works, and you know, like all like you know every, all that kind of stuff, like DNA and photography, like and the geometry, you know, of of uh, figuring out the size of subjects in film. And when you broaden like Bigfoot out, like research that way, it's you'll never you'll never have time for all of it and unfortunately i'll never be an expert at any of it. <laughs> right. I'll never be good
3: enough at any one of those things to uh, you know to make a huge difference, but i'm more
2: of a generalist i guess. But that is the beauty of it. It's like the more the more you're interested you are, the deeper the interest, the more things you make contact with and you know i've heard it described like you know you have this kind of territory of what you understand and as that territory grows of course, the boundary is growing, and so you're coming into contact with more of what you don't understand. So the more you know, the larger that boundary is touching the unknown, and it's just more and more opportunities to learn, which is really a fantastic thing. I mean, it's everyone should have a calling uh, of a similar nature, you know, that drives them to constantly learn and constantly grow. And I'm just, uh, right. you know, I'm grateful that we all have that because you know, I've I've definitely met plenty of people who, whether they believe in the subject or not, have said to me directly, friends, like, I wish there was something in my life that I was as interested in as you are the Sasquatch. And that's kind of sad to hear from people, you know, that they,
4: not everyone has found that. So I tell them, if you're as smart and good looking as me, you would be. here. Here.
3: So uh, here's a question. Uh, I guess, I don't know, I, I, this might be a question more for Matt than Bobo, but I'd like Bobo's perspective as well, obviously. If Sasquatches turn out to be a truly paranormal species... They can phase in and out and do the predator sort of thing. And, you know, uh, they turn invisible or travel through portals and read your mind
2: and then you know, all that kind of stuff. Would you still be interested in them? Oh, Absolutely, yeah. because my interest is involuntary. I mean, if I could choose what to be interested in, I probably would have chosen to be like deeply interested in uh, accounting or engineering or something that was a hell of a lot more lucrative and certainly be more boring. But, uh, you know, it's not like... Choosing to devote yourself to the Sasquatch phenomenon makes for, you know, the fewest amount of headaches and heartaches and frustrations and things of that nature. So uh, I I consider it an involuntary compulsion, uh, that sort of deep interest. And so I think even if it did turn out to be something like that, if my interests were rooted strictly within the biological, then I could have just aimed it at bears or, you know, there's there's analogs like the Eastern cougar. You know, a lot of people claim to see them in the East. Um, They've purportedly survived in places where the state or federal government says they've been extirpated. And so I could just as easily be pursuing that. Or ivory-billed woodpeckers. Absolutely. There's a whole host of things that are almost perfect analogs, but for some reason, like, I'm just not compelled to go do that. Of course, if I saw a cougar, you know, it'd be amazing and fascinating, but So, you know, I I think even if I discovered that the fundamental nature of the phenomenon, like even if it were discovered that, no, actually it is some function of the human psyche, some element of the human mind, I would still be like, okay, well, then why hasn't it happened to me? Like, why haven't I seen one? What am I doing wrong that I've not triggered this in my own mind where I can have the experience that others claim to have? So I'd still be pursuing that experience at the very least. Um, So no, I don't think it would change for me. I don't think I could say the same.
3: Yeah, I think if these weren't just animals, I would be much less interested in them in the same way that I'm not really interested in ghosts. You'd you'd still be interested in them. Yeah, I, I, to some degree, but I don't think it would, it would hold
2: it for me um, like it does, you know? You know, we've all seen a lot of people that have either started out with a paranormal interpretation or have, you know, leaned into that very often as an explanation for their own lack of contact. Uh, Because it would be a sort of convenient scapegoat. And I understand that. Like, believe me, I mean, one of the arguments I make in the book over and over is like, you know, it's really been the the failure of proponents to deliver substantive proof rather than to lay the blame at the feet of the quote unquote establishment for, you know, denying the existence or rejecting the evidence offered thus far. And I look at that as an opportunity. It's like, okay, well, we can do better and we can try harder and we can uh, apply ourselves more. Uh, but, you know, for a lot of people, I think it's easier to go, oh, well, I've never seen one because they can become invisible or because they can read my thoughts and they know before I leave my house that, they're, that I'm looking for them. And so they're going to hide from me. And it's like, that's a convenient scapegoat. You know, uh, I prefer to just uh, take the blame on myself and say, well, I'm apparently not doing it right. But at the same time, uh, you know, I think we might not be doing it right because, you know, sometimes people will say like, oh, yeah, well, what proof do you think you have? And I'm like, I have as much proof for the existence of the Sasquatch is everyone else, which is absolutely zero. Uh, You know, we have evidence and that evidence is subjective and it requires a lot of familiarity with relevant disciplines to interpret that evidence. But in terms of absolute definitive proof, no one has that yet. And so I would look at that and go, well, I should be doing better rather than saying, well, the Sasquatch is eluding me via mystical means. (laughs) You know what I mean? looking like a true suit. A shill. <laughs> shill. I'm going to cash my oh, no. Fed check now.
3: <laughs> uh, I think I've been accused of being a government shill before. Oh, you have. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I have. I don't pay much attention to the outside world,
2: but uh, I, things leak back to me, and I'm pretty sure I've been accused of that. Uh, you both have. I've seen multiple comments that finding Bigfoot is part of a government disinformation campaign. <laughs> I'm
3: going to do back to your- well, I'll say this, man. If if I'm on the government payroll, their benefit package sucks. <laughs> you know, no medical at all, no retirement. I'd, I haven't seen a check in ever. Yeah, so <laughs> whatever that's worth.
2: <laughs> well, that's one question down. <laughs> we'll at least get through the uh, the voicemails here. All right, let's go. Let's let's get to the next
3: one then. See what you did to us, Adam. Thank you for uh for that. But you almost broke us
1: up. You almost broke apart a family. Hello, Cliff and Bobo. This is Kevin from Cincinnati. Uh, Just to let you guys know, pay a compliment. You guys rock. You help my third shift go a lot faster when the podcast is on. Um, I got a serious, not so serious question. People are always leaving apples and peanut butter and stuff for Bigfoot. Um, I was wondering if anybody's ever tried luring them in with bananas. I've never heard about it, Cliff. Please correct me if I'm wrong. My wife loves correct me anyway. Um, if anybody's actually tried bananas, thank you so much for everything you guys do and the research and uh, keeping us all updated
4: on it. So keep it squashy and thank you very much. Yeah, I've used bananas. People have said that they that they had to le- like leave one half peeled, and when they did that, then they, the Bigfoot started taking them when they they knew how to. Eat it properly I guess this is what this is what I've heard a, a couple different people say over the years you, you know um
3: i I don't know a lot of people that have been very successful with gifting at all um i certainly they, the Sasquatches have been i've been told sasquatches are stealing apples and stuff but the pacific Northwest apples are kind of everywhere you know there's even abandoned apple orchards in the woods if you know where to look sometimes um they they grow here you know they've grown here for two hundred years or more you know um I don't think they're um they're native to the area, but certainly the early pioneers brought them out. Yeah. No, I think apples are native to Asia somewhere, if I remember right, but uh, still they've kind of developed a taste and bananas don't live here. They don't even, they don't even grow here really effectively for the most part because they're, they, they like the tropical climate. So they probably wouldn't be very familiar with them in the same sort of way. They're not very familiar with citrus. You know, most citrus trees just don't do well up here in the Pacific Northwest. Um, but I don't know. Maybe there's places like down in, outside of Bakersfield and whatnot where there's huge orange groves at the foot of like the Kern River. I'm sure that those things get raided sometimes by Sasquatches. Um, but it might just be a lack of familiarity. But But I personally have never... Not once, ever, been successful with uh, um, baiting or deliver or gifting or any of that stuff with Sasquatches. Even when I knew they were there, and I left stuff out, like at the water spot when you were there, Bobo, left stuff out for them, and they they didn't want it. They didn't want anything to do with it. So I don't know. I'm a little perplexed by all that. I know Tom Shays had some success. He was having some success with peanut butter. At least he believes that uh, that's what it was. was Sasquatch was responsible. He would put peanut butter jars out, um, attached to trees with duct tape, and then screw the lid on. Actually, he never even took the lid off, including the safety seal. And he would get those things, um, you know, taken from him off the tree. And that eventually led to the Nutella cast, if you're familiar with that. Um, where he didn't have peanut butter one time, so he left out uh, Nutella and um, got some big finger marks in the Nutella. And I always joke saying that clearly it, it had to be a Sasquatch and not a human because any human would have eaten all the Nutella. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I've never had any luck with any of that. But Have you directly, either, either one of you guys had luck with baiting or um, you know gifting or whatever you want to call it, leaving food out for these things?
4: Yeah, I did with uh, that time with Letterman when we were camping up uh, by bluff. We, we were in a campground up there and the thing, it ran through the camp. I mean, it ran right down behind us. I mean, and didn't even break stride dude, and swooped up like 10 apples without, without breaking stride. It was insane.
3: Yeah. I, I remember Lighterman talking about that. That was, that was pretty interesting. Just like, bum, 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 like here the foots go, the footsteps run by and then, um, you know, just a scooping up an entire thing of apples in one and presumably one hand. I don't know. Maybe both. Who knows?
4: I don't know, but it was that was crazy. And then I've had them. I'm sure leave me is God. It's been well, like ten years ago that's what I was just talking about. Where I was out, where uh, you know, where the we had the recorders out. We got the knocks after we left, like a half hour later. Uh, That's I was on that same trail ten years ago, and I I was I was going up there a lot. I did my calls, and I was leaving out um, dried mango and uh, papaya all the time. And I went out that day, and I this German guy was living at my house. He was a uh, wait. He was waiting for the PCT trail to thaw out, which didn't happen that year until like August because the the record record snow year that year for that whatever. So it was, he he just had nowhere to stay. So he you know, did some work for me around the house. He did some like construction jobs and stuff, whatever. But he wanted to go out. He got really into the Bigfoot thing, hanging out. Being like, we went up there and poked around. And, you know, he cruised with me some places and he read a bunch of books at my house and I said, all right, I'll take you to the spot and then you got to go off trail and you've got to hike out and spend a couple of days out there and uh, you'll be fine. You know, but you know, you might get scared, but it's cool. And so we go walking down there and we, I did some calls at the trailhead. Then I, we walked in, we had to walk like a mile and a half, two miles. And as we're going in, just right there, about 200 yards in was this fresh killed rabbit laid out, Across the trail, like in perfect, like it didn't just die of a heart attack, like something laid it out. It was totally fresh and warm, and like it no rigor mortis at all. And I was like, Well, that's a trip. And Monkey, you know, was like freaking out on it. And then so we walked in and we, uh, I showed him, like, hike up here, go over that that ridge and then drop down to that next little valley and, and hang out there for a couple of days and, you know, try the knocks and stuff and whoops it after it gets dark. And as I came, I did some whoops with them there, like, you know, and then we turned around and started walking out. And, you know, like, just right up the trail from there was another rabbit, the exact same position, laid out the exact same, exactly the exact same. Like, it was a different rabbit. It was way bigger. And it was it was laid out just across the trail, both its legs, you know, the legs, feet touching together. Like, uh, it was, you know, present, it was presented. It was totally warm, fresh, broke neck. And I was like, oh, that, well, they gifted me that time. And then uh, the time I was with my dad, they gifted they I've been gifted more than I think than I know if they've taken gifts from me I'll say that
3: stay tuned for more Bigfoot and beyond with Cliff and Bobo we'll be right back after these messages but bananas I don't see why not I think the key with the banana thing um and this is something that uh, Tom Shea has done with some of those peanut butter jars the ones that he took the safety seal off is that he uh, he put his own finger in the peanut butter and rubbed it on the outside of the jar to get the smell out there. So I think that that would be the key with bananas. Cause you know, bananas are delicious. You may have noticed. Um, I think if the, if they could smell that, then they would go, oh yeah, these smell delicious. Um, and then you'd
2: have a better chance with it. Well, I think a big problem is that it's really hard to make sense of negative information or missing information or, you know, negative data in that, If these animals have very large home ranges, like I think they do, and they're very mobile within those home ranges, like people might go out into an area where sightings have occurred and they set up some kind of a bait station and nothing gets taken and they make the proclamation that, oh, well, the Sasquatch isn't interested in food. And the reality is like, man, there might not have been one within like six miles of you. And it might have had no clue that you were there for those two or three nights or whatever. And so it's not that they rejected your food or weren't interested they just didn't even know you or the food existed at that point in time because they were elsewhere it's not like you know they're in such abundance that they're within a a square mile of everywhere you could possibly plant yourself and so i think a lot of what people interpret as the ignoring of food or you know people are just assuming that the sasquatch sees the food and is electing not to take it which is probably not the case in most of those cases
4: right I've been out where like we know they were there, like they were knocking around us and whistling and stuff. And, we, and I, I've gone out and put it out there, you know, like no cameras on it. Like they could approach it not seen and they never touched it. I've done that pr- pretty often. Yeah, I mean, that might be part of it. But to me, it's the same thing as like, you know, oh, well, the Sasquatch heard our
2: calls and chose not to call back. And it's like, ah, oh, in all likelihood, there wasn't one within earshot. You know, 90% of the time that we're out there, it's just, again, like a, n- a numbers game, so to speak.
4: Well, I mean, there's definitely times they're out there and they hear us, they just don't respond. But we we don't know that. We don't don't know which way one way or the other. Oh, exactly. I'm just saying it's more likely
2: that, you know, there's just not one around than it is that like, oh, they're around and they're observing everything we're doing and they're just, you know, exercising self-control and deciding not to interact or respond or take the food. Not that it would be more likely that they would, it's just that like in the absence of responses or the absence of bait being taken. I think the simplest explanation would be, well, they're just not one around rather than to say like, oh, they were here. We didn't hear anything, which is evidence that they were here and chose to be quiet. It's like, no, you didn't hear anything because there's probably nothing there to hear. You know, the forest is mostly empty. It's like the ocean,
3: you know, 90% of the fish live in 10% of the ocean. Um, the The forests are staggeringly empty. That's what I learned more than anything else. That's what I learned from having a thermal imager.
4: yeah. There's just a lot of rats. Yeah, a lot of rats.
3: All right, so uh, we have one more voicemail and a bunch of written stuff, but we're already over an hour right now, so I'd say let's do the
2: voicemail. Yeah, let's knock them out. All right, here's the uh, last voicemail. Hi, my name's Steve. Thank you so much, Cliff and Matt, uh, for giving us the opportunity to come and spend the evening with you on Thursday. It was an excellent time. I loved it. Thank you so much. You guys are generous hosts. I appreciate it. Anyway, the Ape Canyon exhibit had that big picture hanging above it, and I just, it just made my imagination run wild. So my question is, is anybody putting trail cams up around that area? Is it still being researched up there, or is that area still being monitored? I know people are going up there and revisiting the site, but is it is it being monitored? Do you have any information for us on that? Thank you.
3: Yeah, it's not. It's not. Um, things have happened while uh, Mark has been on expedition up there. Um, th- th- he's heard some amazing vocalizations from multiple animals, um, including like the weird sort of talking like vocalizations, like rah, 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 like that kind of stuff. Um, he's heard those. Um, they've cast footprints up there and seen other footprints. See, I, I, up on top there, up uh, up towards Pumice Butte and Plains of Abraham and all that sort of thing. There's. Uh, plentiful mountain goats. Um, I mean, I saw at least two distinct herds when I was there in July this past year. And I think that that's the reason Sasquatches are up there as well. Um, There's a, there's a lot of mountain goats, particularly in the area and Sasquatches being apes are really good at hopping around and crazy terrain and stuff. And they're the kind of uh, predator that could actually, you know, Get a mountain goat and take it down. I think um, so. I think that's why they're up there. But yeah, uh, Mark and his colleagues who have gone up there over the years have cast at least one footprint. That and by the way, we're going to get that footprint for the North American Bigfoot Center's um, exhibit. Um, since uh, Steve, you have been to the museum and you've seen the new displays. Um, you know the, the the glass case that's underneath those. Um, right now, we have a couple artifacts in there. We have a copy of um, Fred Beck's book. I fought the ape and of Mount St. Helens. Oh, we have a footprint cast, an original footprint cast that was donated to the museum by a group of researchers who uh, worked that area. Um, actually, they were down below. They were down below um, between maybe Ape Caves and the southeast side of the mountain in that stretch there. But a lot of stuff happens in that stretch. Um, of course, a lot of stuff happens in other stretches of the mountain too. You know, the, 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 the horse camp area and some stuff up on top on the Toodle River. And there, there's a lot of good bigfooting to be done in Mount St. Helens still. But But up on top there... No one's monitoring it because it's a long ways in. You know, it's a five or six mile walk. You have 1,500 foot elevation gain and, um, you know, it's just a long walk in. There's a lot of easier places that you can monitor with any regularity than there. As far as, uh, you know, down to the cabin site and stuff, first of all, I want to make it very clear, no one should go there. It's extraordinarily dangerous and legitimately um, you are taking your life in your own hands when you even approach it. So I want to make that very, very clear. I do. I strongly recommend do not try to go to the cabin site. You don't know where it is. There's no sign of it above ground anymore as of last year. Um, you, you won't even know you're there if you happen to stumble on it. You won't even know it, and you'll just keep stumbling. And one wrong stumble will make you plummet to your death. Um, and th- you can even look it up online. Some people were there in the early 70s. They might have even been looking for the cabin site because really there's no other reason to go there. Um, and, and one guy fell to his death there, you know, um, down into the, the, the ravine. So I do not recommend you go down there. So no, no one's, no one's in there monitoring anything because even up on top to the plains of Abraham, which is the only place you're allowed really to camp in that area because it's the volcanic national monument. That's a five, six mile walk in and it's not easy and, um, it's not terrible. You know, it's just a five, six mile walk, but still, you know, in and out one day, that's 12 miles and it's, it's to, to monitor what, you know, there's, there's plenty of more accessible Bigfoots around Mount St. Helens than those.
4: But it shows you, you though, like uh, the areas they'll hang out. Like this, you're talking about how nice is to get to, and like those squatches are just walking around down there. Oh, yeah, yeah. The whole Ape
3: Canyon event, you know, back in 24, um, 100 years ago. It just makes a lot of sense when you keep in mind that these things are apes, and um, climbing is what they do. You know, you look at the the anatomy of a sasquatch; their arms are longer than their legs. That means they're built for climbing. You know, I mean, they're they're climbing around in these uneven terrain, uh, and that's the kind of thing they're made for. They they don't mind being in very inaccessible and crazy places that um, humans simply don't like to go you know, um, at least without ropes and whatnot. But for Sasquatches and goats and other animals, it's it's no big deal. They just go there. It's just what they do. Um, yeah, and I can totally see why I can totally see why, but no, as far as I know, Steve, no one is actually uh, monitoring, um, up on top of the mountain because it's just so far in and so difficult to reach. So, so hard to get to, it'd just be hard, you know, especially when you can just go to the, you go off the side of the road down below and you know, there's been sightings, on the trail in between the parking lot and ape caves. There've been literally sightings there at night. Um, like at the end of the day, the last group to walk out of the caves, um, i in one summer just like six or eight years ago, I got three reports in a matter of two months, um, all about six or seven eight o'clock at night you know walking out from the caves like the last group going out at, from the tour or whatever and um, there was a visual sighting there was rock throwing and then there were a bunch of whistles accompanied by something trailing them out all three of those are sasquatches most likely and um and that was in one summer so why would you walk six miles up to a desolate place with no water source where you're not allowed to camp um, to monitor up there it, it, that's that's my thought i would never do that I would just go off the side of the road by the parking lot and um, see if I can find them there. (laughs) Cause I'm, I'm just too lazy to do otherwise, you know? Oh, and by the way, I'm glad you enjoyed the Meldrum event. Thank you very much for coming. All right. So here is the first written question. Take it, bobs.
4: Dustin Shelton writes, hi, Cliff and Bobo. Love the show. I have been rewatching old episodes of finding Bigfoot. I am floored by the amount of times Renee says I can't rule it out being a person in a suit, or I think it was someone playing a prank. With the thousands of witnesses you encountered on the show, did she really think that there really were that many people that had access to a fursuit looking to pull one over on someone? Or was she just out of things to say? I don't know about that because uh, what I found with Renee is that she very often
3: told us what it was not, but would almost never tell us what she thought it was. And I think it's a simple thing to say, oh, I can't rule out it was a person wearing a suit. Well, guess what, Chica? Um, Sasquatches look like people in monkey suits. I don't know, man. It's like, uh, you know, how do I know that's a, a deer and not a baby elk in a deer suit? They kind of look the same too. You know what I mean? Um, so that was my problem with that. You know, and I, I like Renee. She's a lovely person, very, very kind in a lot of ways and all that stuff. But at the same time, I, th- I found her explanations lacking. Um, where very often she was more than willing to say what it was not, but would almost never offer up what a more reasonable explanation was. And if you notice, she didn't really didn't like to say that. I think this dude's lying. Like she did. She wouldn't do that you know, because she also has a lot of faith in people. But um, yeah, so I don't know, I I think it would have been a lot easier just to say, pshaw, you're not telling the truth and be done with it. um, Instead of, well, that's a person in a suit, which, you know, seems extraordinarily unlikely in a lot of those circumstances.
2: Well, I know I've said this before in previous episodes uh, as an outsider who was not, you know, a a real member of the crew, but I worked on a couple of episodes was that I would watch those talking head interviews because I'd be standing off to the side. And of course, like the questions you guys would get asked would be things like, you know, what about this is similar to other Sasquatch sightings? What about this makes you lean towards this being a legitimate Sasquatch sighting, et cetera? And the questions that would get asked of Renee in the talking head segments would be like, why is this not a Sasquatch? What other explanations might you have? You know, so of course she's answering those questions and you're watching like the cumulative, however many, you know, dozens or maybe the full hundred episodes of that show. And so you're seeing her by herself saying things that seem spontaneous, but really she's answering questions. And because of the the sort of role that she had on the show, there's a certain kind of question being asked that you guys are not necessarily being asked. Like, wouldn't you say that's fair, at least for an audience member to, to know or understand? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, hey, it's TV. And we may have had pretty much the, the you know,
3: the the most honest and transparent Bigfoot show out there that's, in my opinion, that's been made. Um, but at the same time, it's still TV. And at best, sh- television is a shallow, superficial medium. There's a lot that goes on off camera that drives the narrative, you know, and um, at the end of the day, the producers are, are trying to make a narrative, a story that makes sense to the viewer, um, that is cohesive and connects to one another and all that sort of stuff. It's a psychological thing. I never really understood the, 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 the amount of psychology that goes into television, like little things too. Like um, if you have a scene where you don't do a drive up scene, like it's unsettling to the viewer. Like you have to see the people arrive at a location. Otherwise it doesn't make sense to the viewer and it's unsettling to them. And um, and also other little things like, um, if you exit to the left of the screen, that means you should come back on from the left or from the right. I don't forget which one it is, but like little things like that. I mean, I guess that's the kind of thing you pick up in film school, but, um, like small psychological quirks could develop in, you know, if you, if you don't do it right and it's unsettling to the viewer. So, um, yeah, but the the producers are always driving a narrative in a way um, that that goes along with a storyline. So the viewer, so, so it's what makes sense to the viewer, you know. And and Renee did get asked questions like, "Well, since you don't believe in Bigfoot, that's not a Bigfoot. What else do you think it could be?" You know, trying to get a trying to get answers from her like that. Okay, the next question is from Greg Thomas. And he asks, what is the process for collecting and storing a hair sample for DNA testing to improve the likelihood of having a Bigfoot hair sample that can be successfully tested? Thank you for your continued great work on the podcast and other things you guys continue to do to further increase people's knowledge about Bigfoot. Try not to touch it. Don't, don't touch the hair. You know, tweezers or gloves are great. Um, you know, you don't breathe on it. Don't get too close to it. Because the moisture coming out of your mouth contains your DNA, um, and and then put it in a paper envelope, preferably one of those acid-free um, paper envelopes, the, the brown-colored ones. But yeah, I mean that's kind of it. Hair's really simple to deal with. Get it off the branch or whatever it's on with, with tweezers if you can. Uh, sterilized tweezers are best, but you know use whatever you have. Put it in an envelope, and there you go. That's it. Then send it to Darby, Darby Orca. To, so. That's what I would do.
4: All right. We got this one from Jamie. Uh, Jamie Inks. Uh, I think that's, yeah, that's uh, the tattoo artist we see in Ohio every year. I think that's what that is. We are here debating how Sasquatch drink. One of us says with a cupped hand and the other says putting his face into the water. Source, what do you think? Yeah, I've heard him doing both, but I've heard more of the cupped hand.
3: Yeah, I've heard numerous observations of Sasquatches using a cupped hand and bringing the water up to its mouth. Um, so I think that's probably the way to the way to go,
4: yeah, definitely that's the most common reported yeah William Rowe, of course observed
3: a Sasquatch at very close range and it commented about how how I, I guess uh prehensile their lips are, you know uh, about how it extend out and kind of wrap around the the berry um leaves um it was eating the leaves off a of berry berry bush if I remember correctly
4: um so yeah, so maybe something like that goes on when they drink too. It was putting like it would, it'd snap off a stalk and then put the base of the stalk. Like, like a corn on the cob, and then pull it through its teeth and just strip everything into its mouth. Like, did you, uh, Matt, when you
3: were you and Emily were at the house, did you see those, um, bloody corn cobs that Melissa made? I
2: did the corn on the macabre, (laughs) yeah, corn on the macabre (laughs) (laughs) classic. Uh, well, I love my wife, you can see why. (laughs) And I got to come face to face with the Bobo effigy in the museum, and it was strikingly lifelike. oh, shut up, F you. It was just—it was strikingly lifelike for your your previous life <laughs> back in the day, like circa 2012, Bobo. <laughs> oh,
3: yeah, that's true. Yeah, your comment is Mel. How come you made the fat bobs? Yes, well, because <laughs> it was easier to sculpt. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, and of course, we're talking about we uh, on the top of the hat rack in the North American Bigfoot Center. We have a sculpt of Bobo's head. Um, with a gone squatching hat on it um, that my wife made, made a latex copy of it, and uh, I, I comment. I comment to customers that um, when they ask about you and, it, and it's how's Bobo doing, it's no. Oh, we put his head on a spike right there as a warning in case he came by. <laughs> I didn't want <laughs> Vlad the Impaler to have all the fun. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I should just (laughs) cut out a bunch of Boboisms from an episode or two, and then you could put it on like a little Bluetooth speaker with a motion sensor. And so when people walk by it, it just spontaneously goes like,
3: (laughs) I mean, we'll we'll add that to the Murphy uh, mix, you know, instead of the knocking and the whooping. It'll
2: go, cut that out, Pruitt. (laughs) (laughs) Here's the last written question. And then we have to, you know, speaking of maybe as a little teaser, Uh, for what our bonus episode will be i did find to my great surprise the other day i was uh, going through one of our closets where we store a lot of like outdoor gear and uh, i saw emily my wife had one of the uh, pink gone squatching hats from back in the day that she had bought like way before we ever met and i was like oh there's the there's the influence of bobo in in my life before emily was in my life and so we had a good laugh about that have you ever run into someone just like spontaneously out in the wild wearing a gunsquat and hat like not at a bigfoot event or something, but just like out in public randomly? Oh, lots of times. did you ever see that picture of Justin Bieber wearing a um, and hat? Yeah, that's pretty epic I think oh we put it I'm pretty sure we put it out on social media once early on in the in the podcast and uh and then all the comments were so negative about Justin Bieber. I was like, oh okay. Yeah, I put it on my social media back in the day, and I couldn't believe all the angry
3: people and hatred and just crazy stuff. Like, I, I don't know what it is about that guy that drives everybody else nuts like that. But, man, that, that picture really brought out the worst in a lot of
2: people. I'll say that. I love the beams. Well, you see all the attention that Taylor Swift bring into the NFL. And so if you guys <laughs> yeah. somehow make uh, Taylor Swift a Bigfoot and Beyond fan, we can retire. <laughs> we'll be recording these episodes on Bobo's yacht. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me.
3: All these people who are mad at Taylor Sh- Taylor Swift just need to shake it off, man. Ba-dum-psh. Thank you very much. Is that one of her songs? Yeah, it's the only one I know, by the way.
2: But yeah, somebody get Taylor a gun Squatching hat or a, a <laughs> Beyond T-shirt, listeners. If any of you happen to be like Taylor Swift's third cousin, give her a Bigfoot and Beyond T-shirt. And if she wears it at the Super Bowl we'll deliver to you the best content you could possibly imagine.
4: <laughs> I think she's more of a keep it squatchy girl. All right, Bubs, this one's yours. This one comes from Larry Beatty. How sensitive do you think Bigfoots are to electronic equipment? They seem to avoid electronics. As, uh, and as per your story about Moneymaker using the technique of putting a camera inside a cabinet inside a trailer, should current Bigfooters go low-tech like the Patterson film, or do you think high-tech will finally bring us closure? I think the film was great, and there's no, like, uh, especially with the one, the K100 that Roger was using, you just pull the trigger, there's no warm-up, it's just, it, boom, it's rolling, that's a bonus, but you have to be so, so frugal filming, I think, because it's expensive, you only have, like, so many minutes on per roll, and so, like, that's, it's just not feasible, it's not practical at all, um, but yeah, I think they're sensitive electronics. But but oddly enough, not Audio recorders, like they don't, that does not seem to do them like the cameras do, game cams, anything that puts out like an infrared beam, you know? Well, I, I think if they're sensitive to electronics at all, I
3: personally think that they hear them. Like that high pitched whine, and the only thing I can really anchor that on is when when I was a kid, you know, back in the seventies and eighties and stuff, I could tell if there was a television on in the other room because I could kind of hear it in a way, you know. And the televisions nowadays, I don't think really um, do that as much as they did back in the day, you know. Probably they probably had something to do with the tubes inside the TV and all that sort of stuff because everything's digital nowadays and and technology has changed so much. But I'm guessing this is just a guess that um, there's something. They emit noise. Um, There is an engineer from Wisconsin that I was in contact with for a while. And he did um, some testing with game cameras and found that all of them, or almost all of them, um, are quite noisy at um very very high frequencies beyond which humans can hear um he said that the Raconics hyperfire which are these little jobbers that cost like 600 bucks um they are apparently pretty quiet so he invested a great deal of money in those and i don't think he ever got any pictures or anything i kind of uh, lost touch with him a little bit um he might be a listener for all we know he's a bigfoot guy after all so i don't know so if that's if that's you out there i'm talking about you um but yeah apparently they uh they actually make a kind of a lot of noise um but I don't I don't think they feel it or anything or, or sensitive to EM, EMF radiation or anything like that. Um, and as evidence of that are game camera pictures that are actually pretty good from low quality cameras. I think that it's a numbers game, and I think that sasquatches are rare and they're very very you can't predict where they're going to walk and um, people who see them um, have cameras on them nowadays because everybody's got a phone in their pocket. It's just that it's hard to get a picture of any wild animal. Well, that was the last question, right? Yep. Now you know, um uh Valentine's Day is this week. We're gonna do something special for Valentine's Day this week. I think it's gonna be kind of cool. I'm I'm excited about this one. We we've been kind of uh talking about doing something like this for kind of a long time. See, uh all of us have a significant other in our lives and um and Sometimes I kind of wonder, like, how the heck do they deal with this? And not only does Melissa, by the way, like, um, Karita, of course, uh, that's she's bewildering in that sort of way, how she deals with Bobo, and e- even Emily, who is a Bigfooter, because you know, Corita and Melissa, they're not Bigfooters, but Emily, Matt Pruitt's wife, there is a Bigfooter, so that makes sense that she can deal with all this Bigfoot stuff and everything. But, uh, I gotta say that all three of them have to be angels, and they're also our support team behind the scenes here, um, not only in our regular lives, but also professionally as well. Hi, Melissa helps out at the museum, and I'm sure that uh, Bobo and Matt have their own examples of how their their significant others uh, support them and, and help them and love them along the way. So what we thought would be a fun idea is um, for our members section. This is only for the members, by the way. So if you're not a member yet, maybe you want to become one, you can go to the podcast uh, website, bigfootandbeyondpodcast.com, and hit the membership button, and it'll take you right to where you need to go. It's five bucks a month. You get an extra, like, i what, four hours of Cliff, Bobo, and Matt every single month. That's kind of cool. But what we're going to do is we're going to take questions from our members for the Q&A, and um, we're not going to answer them. Uh, Emily, Melissa, and Corita are going to answer them. And um, I cannot wait to hear what they say. I, I could wait. I know you. Like, you're, you're scared, Bob. Like, you have to admit that. You're scared of what she's going to say. i want to get screwed. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but don't you think we're all going to get screwed? It depends what they ask. Uh, I'm going to get the worst of it. I suspect that all the questions are big. Like, What's Bobo like behind the scenes? Even she doesn't know. <laughs> I think it's going to be super fun. We did put out the word to our patrons, like, hey, we're going to do this episode where uh, the ladies behind the scenes of Bigfoot and Beyond are going to answer your questions. And so we've gotten some good questions already. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing what Karina has to say.
3: Well, there you go. That's something for our members to look forward to. Every uh, a Thursday, a new member episode comes out. If you want to become a member, again, go to the website, become a member. It's cool. And other than that, Bob, why don't you take us out of here?
4: All right, folks, that wraps up another episode of Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo doing our monthly question and answer with the, with the folks. So thanks for sending in those questions. And until next week, y'all keep it squatchy.